Hello and welcome to ESPN Quick Info Stump Mike. Now the name is is a bit controversial because it's been the talk of the town in the test cricket world at least of late. So what we're going to do here is we're going to capitalize on it and we're going to discuss Stump Mike's a lot, not this podcast, but the explosive nature of what happened in the third test between South Africa and India. And first up with me Karthik today is Saurabh Somani. I'm not doing a full-fledged intro here because Saurabh told me before we came on air, that he has an intro of his own. <laughs> Thanks, Karthik. Not an intro. It's just that uh, coming on a stump mic after Virat Kohli and Co have been on a stump mic is like, uh, I know you're a wrestling fan, so you'll get this. It's like uh, slotting in Jericho versus Triple H after Rock versus Hogan has headlined WrestleMania 18. So yeah, we are a little like that. So, 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 for a bit of context here, and I do not know if the others on this panel are pro wrestling fans or if anyone listening in is. I am sure a few, a few are. I think many, many years ago, about two decades ago, there was this event in Toronto. It was WrestleMania. And the main event, the supposed main event was sort of, which was it? Triple H versus? Jericho. Chris Jericho. And the, the two that went before them were probably icons of the game. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, as he is known now. And... Hulk Hogan, a guy who's been around from what, the 70s, the 60s, I don't even know. But mega stars in the US of A. And I think they pretty much drained out the crowd, right? And that they had no energy left for what was supposed to be the main event after their performance. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you couldn't follow that. <laughs> but but, but we, will, we will give it a shot. And I think we've got two people who are our best bet at giving it that shot. First up on this podcast today, Firdos. Firdos, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, it's been a a very hectic couple of weeks and uh, I feel so much more positive about South African cricket and its ability to speak its mind uh, than I did uh, this time last month. That, that's that's great to hear. And along with uh, Saurabh and Firdos is Andrew Fidel Fernando. Fidel, it's been a long time. Yeah, hi, uh, hi guys. It's been a while. I don't agree that we're a step down from uh, Coley and Ashwin and Co, by the way. I think... Uh, We'll probably make, you know, we're probably not going to say, you know, quite as, uh, let's say, uh, I don't want to use the word stupid, but, you know, I'm, uh, maybe I'm, we're probably going to be a little bit more thoughtful and, and, and nuanced about the things that we say than, uh, than the charged comments we heard earlier this week. So, so let's get into it, Fidel, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll start with you. So what happened here? South Africa were chasing. They were chasing 212 in the third test at Cape Town to win the test and the series, therefore. I think there were 60 for one at one stage. There was an Elgar LBW decision that was overturned because the ball was missing the stumps and that visibly angered, angered the entire Indian team. Uh, Kohli walked up to the stumps and he was shouting into the mic. It was, it was the theatre of the absurd. Focus on your team while they shine the ball, not just the opposition. Trying to catch people all the time is, is what he said. He wasn't alone. KL Rahul Fidel went to the stumps and said, it's a whole country against 11 guys. Honestly, I have not heard something so so absurd on, on a cricket field. There was this, this entire scene of Kohli with his back arched 90 degrees shouting into the stump mic. Yeah, I, I think I saw something on... I, I have a, a four-year-old and I think I saw memes uh, of Coley. Essentially, it, it just looked like a parent who you know, had enough at the supermarket or something with their kid and was leaning over and, and their little toddler and just yelling at him or her. Um, and that was that was kind of the vibe of the whole thing. I mean, they were obviously really fed up. They'd, they'd come to the end of their, their rope kind of emotionally after a very, very drawn-out and difficult series, obviously that one that took a lot out of um, out of everybody playing. 
South Africa just happened to kind of outlast them on that kind of metal front. Um, and I, I can I can kind of understand where the frustration comes from because uh, often when you're touring, and we see this all the time with um, with particularly South Asian teams, where you, there is kind of a siege mentality kind of uh, uh, attitude um, at times. Um, this more often happens in places like Australia, but um, but there is you know there is a sense that. Uh, that the, the the playing field isn't level. Actually, I shouldn't have said just South South Asian teams. You often you often hear that's from uh, from you know uh, SCNA nations when they come to uh, come to the subcontinent as well. Uh, and I guess it's easy. It's part of what motivates players. I guess um, a lot of teams use this in an effective way when they rightly or wrongly engage the siege mentality. They close ranks and they kind of take on this us against the world mentality. And sometimes it does actually help them win series, but in this case, uh, you know, yes, it was a weird DRS, you know, but there have been many, many weird DRSs in the history of DRS, and uh, and to suggest that you know, it, it, to suggest in front of everybody uh, that something untoward had happened, that some meddling had gone on, which is essentially what was what was being said, um, you know, it does it does come off as really silly. So um, I, I I understand that you know it is an emotionally draining thing that they've been the last you know the last few hours of the series, but um, but you would you would hope that they would reflect on that and maybe now feel like they you know that they kind of didn't need to be go so hard at the stump like. Two two questions for you for those you've been to a lot of cricket grounds all across the world. Hey, have you ever seen anything like this? And you watched this series at a lot closer quarters than the rest of us did. Was this something that was brewing on on and off the field for a while here? What, what happened at on the, I think it was the third, fourth, the third day at Cape Town? I think it was, it was coming because we saw one decision in the first test match at Supersport Park where uh, Mayank Agarwal, there was an appeal for LBW. It, it looked as though... Uh, what was it? It looked as though it was hitting and then it was missing or the other way around. I can't remember, but it was a decision that perplexed all of us. And the kind of running joke around the the press pack and around the series was that South Africa had an amazing way of being able to change the ball tracking. Now, obviously, that's not the case. And we know that the Hawkeye comes in from an independent data source and they supply the the data to Supersport, which then gets broadcast. We did notice that it was taking a little bit longer than usual for these replays to come up. And I don't know why that is. You know, it may be that there's uh, less people working on the series because of COVID, or it may just be that there was a little delay in technology. You know, we're not a country known for speedy internet either. So it may be something like that. But beyond that, I think there were those couple of decisions through the series that raised question marks. There was the the Rassi Fund addition, uh, dismissal at the Wanderers, where it looked as though the ball had bounced in front of Rishabh Pant and you know, we watched so many replays of that. And in fact, the South Africans went into the umpires' rooms during the lunch break there to have a chat about that dismissal. We There was sort of a big thing about whether Law 2.12 would be enacted and the umpires would reverse the decision, but then that didn't happen, of course. So I think there were one or two decisions where this was brewing, but I, I don't think that was what led to this. I think India were getting really frustrated. They had this golden opportunity to win a series here in South Africa. And and make no mistake, this is the weakest South African team they have faced in South Africa. And they've also brought their strongest side. And they dominated big passages of play 
especially at Supersport Park, for quite a lot of the wonders. It, it went completely against the grain that South Africa were able to chase 240 there. They really don't have many superstars. And, you know, if we were to talk about the administrative turmoil that has been happening behind the scenes over the last two years, this podcast would never end. So it, it really came out of nowhere that South Africa were, were showing a little bit of, of fight. And, you know, it's like the little terrier kind of barking at the Great Dane. And I think India, as uh, Fidel said, their emotions just got the better of them. And, and I really saw the response in Dean Elgar when he was asked at the post-match press conference, did you feel at that point that they were imploding and were you sort of having a little laugh inside and thinking, ah, oh, these guys are just throwing a tantrum? And he smirked a little bit and he said, yes, I loved it. And that really kind of made me think that at that moment, South Africa saw India throwing their toys and, and behaving really brattishly. And, uh, you know, the other thing was when, when Cody said, it's the whole country against um, the 11 of us. And I kind of... Yeah, I think it was K.L. Rahul who said that. K.L. Rahul said that. And it was very bizarre because, of course, South Africa have been to India and the last two series have been played on these really uh, spinner-friendly pitches, ragged pitches. And I suppose, you know, India's got such a much larger population and such a much louder amount of cricket fans. And, and you know, there, there was nobody even in the ground here. It, it just came across as really strange and really funny. And I think South Africa and its 60 million people, most of whom I'm sure were not watching the cricket, are just having a little laugh, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of memes, as Fidel mentioned uh... There, there was one floating around after KL Rahul said what he said with Kohli replying to him saying that it's 11 of us against an entire country except A.B. De Villiers, of course, <laughs> which, which, was, which was pretty pretty, pretty funny. Sort of, you were doing ball-by-ball comms. It felt like after that happened, the game was slipped away from India. I mean, I think South Africa for the next few overs until Stumps went at almost six runs per over, five runs. Was that it? They, they did, yeah. And in fact, in the next six overs, they got like 35 runs. And uh, it was about yeah forty one runs I think in eight point something overs until Bumrah got Elgar in the last over of the day, so it did feel like uh, it slipped away a little bit. Although Kohli was asked this at his post match press conference, and he was quite emphatic that uh, it did not uh, affect them. They did not get carried away. In fact, he said like uh, if we had got charged up and got three wickets out of it, then it would have been a different story. Uh, what I find interesting is like how, you know, the team sort of in unison uh, sort of uh, went after the broadcaster and said that, uh, insinuated rather that uh, there could be something dodgy going on. I, I just feel like that tells me that this was building for a while, like uh, you discussed with those a little bit earlier, because otherwise it's difficult to see how they could spontaneously all get so outraged. Uh, Of course, they could, but it just seems likely to me that uh, something was brewing in their minds. Uh, Now, whether that is legit or not, who knows, but uh, I'm sure they felt a bit of that siege mentality that Fidel was talking about and uh, they felt that there is something not quite right with the ball tracking and that's why they sort of imploded the way they did. There was another instance where Stuart Broad had to abort his run-up and he basically said, can you stop the robot to move from moving? Speaking to the, I think the hovercraft that was the, that has the camera on it. Is this like pretty much the big three striking back against against technology? Is this something that we're going to see across across yeah. cricket now when we watch it? Okay, but let's let's leave technology aside and let's move on to the actual cricket. And at the end of the day, Firdos, 
not many, if any, really gave South Africa a chance to definitely not to win this series before it started, and especially after the Boxing Day test was done. Possibly a draw, but a victory here is, is absolutely incredible. And, and you, like you mentioned, that there, there, there are no superstars in this team. Quinton de Kock retired after the first test. He's probably a superstar. Kagiso Ravara, the other one. But I really can't name more. But what 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 South Africa have done here is it's pretty incredible. Absolutely. I think this is the most important test series win probably since that 2012 series where they won the mace. And, you know, it feels like yesterday, but it, it really was 10 years ago that that happened. And it's been I suppose, five or six years of, of rebuilding. In the lead-up to the series, I was talking to Dean Elgar about the number of players that have retired since that 2012 series, and he made his debut shortly after that. In fact, in every year, they lost a big-name player. So in the time that Elgar's been playing for the national team, it's 14 players that have, that have left, and it's very difficult to rebuild. And I almost feel like maybe we've been a little bit harsh on them in terms of how poor they were. Look, there's absolutely no excuse for some of the things we saw and Fidel might want to comment on this, you know, losing a, a home test series to Sri Lanka, uh, the way that they were beaten in England in 2017, the way that they've played over the last two years. And obviously there's a lot of reasons for that. I get the sense that a very, very, very long corner has been turned and that maybe this is what you need. I think South Africa is a country where if you've got people who are overbearing in their superstardom, it the rest of the team can almost just relax a little bit. We saw that a lot in the A.B. de Villiers years. And I think that was what was happening with Quinton de Kock. They kind of just thought this is the guy who's going to be able to do things for us and the rest of us can chill out. Now they can't do that anymore. And and de Kock, in terms of his, his future in cricket, he's not a guy, I think, who sees cricket as anything other than a, mostly a job. And he's obviously becoming a father and, and got other priorities now. So I don't know that he will be necessarily missed from a from a team commitment and personality perspective, obviously his runs will be missed and we, we're seeing that Calvarena needs a little bit of tightening up behind the stumps there. So th that is something where I think now the team have got a set group of players that they can work with probably for the next three, four, five years. They've got some interesting series coming up. They go to New Zealand, they host Bangladesh, and then uh, they go to England. And that, that I think is going to be a really, really good series. And by then, you know, who knows how many points they would have collected. So I'm probably sounding very much more optimistic than I ever thought I would and maybe even a little bit cheerleady, which is not my intention at all. But really, there have been times over the last two years covering South African cricket that has made a lot of us despair and, and where we just thought there's nowhere to go here. Things are so bad that, like, the, the bottom is just completely fallen off and we're going to sink into this big hole and never be able to come out. And I feel like... Now we're seeing that maybe that's not happening. So, so that's good. Look, there's still a lot of issues. There's no CEO, for example. Um, who, who knows what happens if they... And they will lose. They're definitely going to lose some of their next few series. But that's fine. I think maybe we're starting to find some nuance and balance in the way that they're performing. But in terms of the significance of the series, which is what you asked in the first instance, this is massive. It's very, very important. It's huge for South African cricket. Don't forget, it's also big, big money that India came and that this tour happened. If they didn't come, there was a real fear that South African cricket would have to radically restructure because that's how much money they would lose. So all in all, it's a big win on many fronts. So let's let's name names here for those. We've, we've seen a lot of good performances, a lot of great performances even in both of South Africa's chases. But Keegan Peterson, Dean Elgar, Kagiso Rabada, Marco Jansen, who debuted in this series, Rassi van der Dusen, Lungi Engidi, they all had standout performances. Who, if you had to pick one or two, 
who I, I know I know you're saying Keegan Peterson is going to be a star of the future. I've read your piece on on him, a brilliant piece, by the way. Everyone should go and check it out. But if there were a few performances that stood out from you in this series, whose would they be? Yeah, I have to I have to say Keegan Peterson again, just in that you know, we don't have a lot of batters of colour in this country. And that's an important thing to point out. We don't have those batters coming through and performing at international level. So just from that perspective, to see that Keegan Peterson doing as well as he did, I think that will be an inspiration to many, many young aspiring cricketers around the country. And and that's great. But also he is technically one of the best batters that we've seen in years coming through the South African system. He seems to have the temperament. He's waited a very long time for his chance. Keegan Peterson was, in fact, part of the squad when Mark Boucher took over in that 2019-20 summer, and he was working with Jacques Callis in the Nets. And he just never got an opportunity because of Faf Duplessis. So I have to mention him again. But then Marco Janssen seems to be much more mature than I think we expected. I think he was riding on this, you know, Virat Kohli saw me in the Nets once and, and so on. So <laughs> great kind of thing. Um, but, but he really seems to be developing nicely. He does look like a guy who may get injured. You know, he's wiry and... Uh, we, I think there'll be some concerns around whether he's being overbold. I also think Lungi and Gidi needs a mention because he hadn't played competitive cricket in five months before the series. And there was a lot of talk that he wasn't going to be fit enough. So Ngidi's really shown us that he's worked on his game. He was able to play three test matches. He maybe didn't bowl as much as some of the rest of them. But he's also no longer just hitting the deck really hard. He's able to find some swing. He's pitching it up. So that's a, a really great thing to see. And then we have to mention Temba Bavuma. And I want to say there's always this kind of expectation that Bavuma has to score 100. And I think now we're sort of getting to the point where we've decided he may never score another Test 100. And, you know, maybe that's fine. Maybe that doesn't matter because there he is at the end, winning matches, playing really confidently, building partnerships and taking on this vice-captaincy role with a lot of maturity. So I think Temba Bavuma needs a mention for, for just the role that he's playing that we can see and possibly what he's doing that we can't see. I guess we've got to also mention Dean Elgar, who I think is coming into his own as a captain. He certainly wasn't the, the obvious choice. But I think he, he's really growing into that position. And if we had to compile a list of his quotes, we're going to come up with a whole new language. Because yesterday he said, <laughs> we were put under the sword. And he's once said, you could never say boo to a who, which I think is an incredible quote. <laughs> that, that, that is lovely. This, this shock victory, if, if, I, if I may call it that, for South Africa over, over India in the Test Series was significant fidel for Sri Lanka as well. Because Sri Lanka remained the only Asian side to have won a Test Series in South Africa. I'm, I'm glad that this was mentioned. This is the only thing that I wanted to talk about on this podcast <laughs> when I came. Um, no, I mean, I, it does put that 2019 victory into... I mean, it was crazy when it happened. It was insane when it happened because obviously there was that Durban kind of miraculous innings, but then that they backed it up in Port Elizabeth and produced another really good performance and won that match comfortably in the end against, on paper, a much better uh, South Africa team, you know, that still had Stain, yes, in his kind of final, uh, the final throws of his career, but um, but also had kind of Philander for um, most of that Durban test. It was just, uh, yeah, it, it was it was crazy. And I think, uh, I think it, it's something that Sri Lankan cricket still takes a lot of pride from. Um, I did think that this, this India team, it, it's, you know, the, 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 with the attack that they had, um, perhaps the only thing that they lacked here was, uh, was the tallness of the, the South Africa bowlers. I did think, you know, on paper that this India attack was, uh, was insanely well suited to this, uh, to these South African condition, conditions. 
um, and to to you know look back and think that Sri Lanka team in their first uh, in you know Dimakaranatha's first series as captain uh, beat a South Africa team. You know it it just does not make sense if you look at the lineups from from those series and the lineups from this series to have this kind of result. There is a little bit of flukiness about that Sri Lanka win, but uh, but still, it was um, it was you know it's still something uh, I think on par with uh, if not maybe not quite up to the level of Bangladesh winning in Mount Nanganui, but very very close close to that. It, it is something that can't be taken away from Sri Lanka cricket. But Fidel, I'm gonna ha- I'm going to ask you to stick around because we'll discuss a few more happenings in Sri Lanka cricket after we finish with this test series. But before we wrap things up in South Africa, sort of we have to talk about India and wh- where did it go wrong? This this is something that, that will sting because chances like this do not come very often. Yeah, I think this was genuinely their best shot at winning a series in South Africa where they've never won before. And they won all three tosses too, you know, which rarely ever happens. And... Uh, yeah, it was just, and they had the bowling attack on paper. They had the the experience and quality in the batting, but uh, I think uh, Karthik Krishnaswamy has actually summed it up really well on the website. If uh, readers want to go and have a read of why India lost and what were the factors that contributed, some of them are uh, like Fidel mentioned. The height of the South African bowlers did play a part. Uh, they got a lot more uh, bounce, disconcerting bounce out of the tracks than the Indians did. The Indians' uh, attack is geared towards attacking the stumps, and that therefore they bowled a lot fuller. Uh, you know, these are like, but these are just small technical things which uh, you would have thought, which were known before the tour, and you would have thought India had the uh, quality to, you know. R- ride over these sort of uh, small patches and still win. And uh, I think South Africa's batting, the inexperience uh, didn't show at all. Like, uh, was it Sean Pollock or Vernon Philander? I think on, on air they mentioned that Keegan Peterson has been batting like a guy who's played 50 tests. And uh, and it was exactly like that. You know, he was so uh, nice to watch. And Marco Janssen, I think he was a completely different bowler from Centurion to the next two tests. Uh, I, I thought, I mean, everyone, I think, thought that he had a lot of potential, but nobody expected him to become so yeah. good. So you, you know what? I, I was watching the highlights of the, of the first test yesterday. And in the in the first innings, he, he, he finally got a wicket. I think it was the number 11 batsman who yes. got that wicket. So the way he came back in that second innings as well and then the next two tests. I was, you know, before the series, I was looking forward and I'll go to Firdos with this. I was looking forward to seeing Wyan Mulder play a lot I, when when he was dropped, when Quinton de Kock left test cricket. Yeah, I actually just wanted to comment on, on the Marco Janssen thing because what really stood out for me is that before the series, I think a couple of days before the first test, Amit Nokia was ruled out with this persistent hip injury and and it sounds like he's going to be out for some time. He was due to be back for the ODIs and he isn't in that squad either. And I get, you know, we haven't spoken about him once in the last three tests. Mm, We haven't even said, oh, Jesus, you know, they're really missing Anrik Nokia. The other guy is Luto Sipamla, who debuted last summer against Sri Lanka. He also had a really bad first 10 overs or first day, I can't remember exactly, and then came back and took 10 wickets for 100. And we haven't seen him either. So, I feel like oftentimes we say that the talent pool is very shallow in South African cricket, and we're actually wrong. This country produces a lot of cricketers, and maybe not always very exceptional ones, but they're certainly there, and and they're certainly performing. 
and and you find a gem, you know, more gems, I think, than we expected. But uh, in terms of Vian Mulder, I don't know that we're going to see too much of him. You know, he's been picked as a batting all-rounder. He never really put in an innings of any substance. He would bowl reasonably well and he was consistent, but I, I don't think that that Vian Mulder is a guy we'll see much of in Test cricket unless things radically change. And the other person we have to mention is Keshav Maharaj, who really has had the ride of his life, hasn't he? He's earned three match fees and uh, basically bowled a few <laughs> overs and did a couple of good jobs as, as night watchman. I feel night like sorry for yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because these pitches were, uh, in hindsight, you know, maybe the spinner was surplus to requirements. But all in all, uh, I think that we found some very interesting, very good, and, and hopefully cricketers who will who will stay kind of as, I guess, determined as they are. Because I think one of the things, as we were saying earlier, that, that has affected South African cricket is once they become too reliant on, oh, well, we're going to win anyway, or we've got guys who can win a match, then they don't, they seem to perform best when things are bad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, for those you had mentioned, this, the centuries, and how that we maybe have to accept that Temba Bavuma won't, won't get one. The two centurions in the series both came from India. We saw one from KL Rahul in the, in the first test and then Rishabh Pant's absolutely sensational knock. Now, I'm going to go to Saurabh later with, with the issues that India faces, particularly in their batting. But for those, when you see, when you see Rishabh Pant, like, you know that there's a special cricketer there in the making. What, what did you make of India's overall performance and maybe at some level their successes and their failings with the bat? Look, I thought India brought everything that they could. I was, I was. I know you asked me about batting, but obviously we have to say that their their bowling performances and and the bowlers that they brought. You know, Mohammad Shami is is just exceptional. Jasprit Bumrah, uh, Mohammad Siraj, who we saw in the first two, they've really got a great attack, and and that was incredible to see because so often we haven't seen that when they when they toured South Africa. But in terms of the batting, I got the sense that. They were having like a little internal conundrum over what to do with these two experienced guys, Pujara and Rahani, and, and whether they should persist with them or, or maybe drop one of them. And maybe that will happen in future. And Saurabh might know more about that. I, I really like Rishabh Pant. I, I think he's the kind of player that really irritates the opposition uh, because he plays so outrageously. He's got a lot to say in the field. Um, he, he's not afraid to to take the fight to to them. And Maybe you know he gets out in very frustrating ways, and KK wrote that piece about the ways in which uh, Rishabh Pant got out. Was it at, at, at Newlands actually in the first innings? But I, I, I think he's he's the. He reminds me a little bit of Quinton de Kock, but probably a little bit more focused. And I think he's more invested than than Quinton de Kock ever was. So India have got a gem there. Um, I also enjoyed the the century by um, KL Rahul. I, I do think. I'm almost reaching the point where I think in South Africa, and if, if the pitches are going to continue in this manner, maybe we don't judge a team by the number of hundreds they score. Because it almost seems as though that doesn't swing things, you know, in the way it would in other places. And, and South African cricket have had very few test hundreds in the last couple of seasons. Uh, and obviously they've lost quite a lot as well. But I don't know that hundreds are the benchmark. So it almost seems as though it, it's really because you know you're going to get out and that the chances of you getting out at any point are so high, you've got to cash in while you're there. And and so maybe a, a 70 of 120 balls is more valuable than 100 that takes the whole day because then you've just taken time out of the game. Last week, we heard from Saurabh about India's middle-order issues and what, what his opinions on the futures of Pujara and Rahani. But before we come to you, Saurabh, Fidel, if I could get you in on this. Now, as as an outside observer, you've, you've seen both 
Cheteshwar Pujana Jinkarani played play for the decade. A, should we club them together in terms of both need to be dropped at, at the same time? And B, do you see them now having having a future in this immediate India 11? India going to play at home now next against your side, Sri Lanka. Yeah, I mean, given the amount of depth India have uh, in terms of batting, we saw that in that Australia series last year. It does seem as if, you know, they've they've laboured with these guys for an unusually kind of long period of, uh, of time. Um, in this series, I mean, I think Rahane averaged something like 22, something, something around there was, you know, really wasn't much. And when you've got people knocking down the door behind, behind you, I don't think you can kind of survive on that. Um, and uh, Pujara, maybe, I think he had, you know, one half decent inning. I think he had, he had 150 in the series, if I'm not, not mistaken. Um, but at the, at the same time, output of runs, really not, really not there. So... Uh, I don't think it's unfair to club them together at this stage. I think when you've had yeah, you mentioned you mentioned Rana's average of twenty two. Pujara comes away with just twenty as his average. Yeah, so uh, you, I I just think that if you've got the 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 kind of talent that in, that India have, and not just talent, you know, people who played A team cricket who've also who've also contributed to to India team victories when these kind of major players aren't around. Uh, and Pujara is someone who you know obviously has produce so many very, very good innings and contribute to a lot of victories. But India need to be a bit, little bit more ruthless. I don't think, say, the great Australia team of, of the of the Orts would have kind of tolerated these kinds of scores for, for as, as long as India had with Pujara and Rahani. Uh, because they had they used their depth really well. Their selection was a little bit more ruthless. And perhaps that's where that's where kind of this India team, which we all think is probably on its way to being a great team. Um, that's one of the things I think India have to get right to try and do things like win in South Africa to try and consistently be uh, be the best team at home in a way. Um, yeah, I would I would love to see India just just be a little bit more more sharp on on selection. Sort of the final word about India with you. Look ahead to India's middle order. See, I, I just want to give a disclaimer up first. Because the thing is, in the since 2018 particularly, India has played... India, no? I mean, test cricket all over the world has had really deep attacks and on very uh, result-oriented pitches. So, the bare numbers uh, seem really bad, but they're not as bad as they seem. With that said, I still think, uh, yeah, it's tough to keep Pujara and Rahane in the 11 now given that you know once Rohit is uh, fit and back then uh, you have on the sidelines Mayank you have Shubman Gill Hanuma Vyari Shreyas Ayer and you can't keep these guys on the sidelines given that uh, Rahane and Pujara have not had those scores that even the rest of the guys have had even though they have played in the same challenging conditions against the same deep attacks so it it looks like for now, for me, I would be very surprised if they're part of the uh, Sri Lanka test squad. I think uh, and a home series is a really good time to ease other guys in also. So I think that's what they'll go. But again, for the last test, there was a lot of, uh, you know, I was on ball by ball commentary. So there was a lot of feedback about, uh, you know, uh, India made a mistake in picking Pujara and Rahane for this test. But the 
literally the last innings they both played before this third test was they hit 50s you know now how, how are you going to drop them and they shared a 111 run stand which was a large part of india's total and india had a total of 240 to defend which as firdos had mentioned earlier we didn't really expect south africa to chase down and uh, they were the two highest scorers in the second innings for india pujara and rahane so how are you going to drop them after that so it it was fair to you know keep them in the 11 for the third test but now i think yeah it's time to maybe give others a go all right at this moment firdos is going to be leaving us firdos you have a lot of interviews to get to it was lovely hearing from you today and we'll hope you'll be back soon definitely thanks guys it was uh, good to chat and Yeah, I think these are always great conversations. So hopefully, see you guys soon. Now, Fidel and Saurabh, you all two are sticking around because we're going to grill Fidel a little here with what is happening in Sri Lanka cricket now. Sorry, just before I'm just looking up kind of the Rahane and uh, and Pujara's stats going into. I know we said that in that in you know in that one match they they had a partnership, but uh, Pujara, I mean, I this has been written about, but I think uh, 2020 he averaged 20. Uh, in 2021, he averaged under 30 again. Um, it's been it's been a while since he's had a good year. You know, it's been and given the the, the quality of the the players you mentioned, Vihari, Shreyasayar, uh, Agarwal, who did play in the series, but you know might not if um, if there, uh, there's Shubman Gill back. to come in as well. Shubman Gill, yeah. This, I mean, it, it what it, what is preventing them? I think in a longer Uh, and maybe this is something for uh, Saurabh or Kartik to answer. In a longer kind of time frame, what is preventing India from being a little bit more ruthless and a little bit is it sentiment mentality? What is what is going on with uh, why players aren't being being uh, disposed of when you know when they're having these long periods of in- inconsistency? For for me, I really think it's just because the team management has. uh you know thought that yeah we have played on challenging pitches against very uh, very very good attacks and these run of low scores are expected these guys have done it in the past so they can do it again and then you have the odd innings like rahane at uh, melbourne he scored a century and was the man of the match when india won after the 36 all out and then he of course led the team to victory in that series so it's just they have these nuggets of uh, performances which make you think that yeah the the old skill is still there and uh, that maybe you know prevents uh, them from taking that uh, ruthless call of no we're going to give vihari a go we're going to give shreyas ayer go shubman gill yeah it it is uh, it's tough right to move away from Uh, for the want of a better word from two cricketers who have served you for that long if my personally i sort of i don't know if you agree with me but i would now i would now like to see i don't know maybe a gill at number 3 and an ayer coming in at number 5 for for the sri lanka test i i would like to see hanuma vihari given a go seriously you know the guy was sent to south africa but but, but would you do you do you think do you think he's going to get a go in india clearly he's one for the overseas test right yeah i mean it's not i don't think that's really fair you know the guy averaged around like 58 in first class cricket before he was picked for india and that's all in indian pitches you know uh, even shreyas ayer averaged uh, over 50 and at a very uh, impressive strike rate actually around 80 so you know it clearly showed it, it showed both of them are like you know a cut above the domestic level 
so they both deserve chances but that's the mark of a good team you know you have uh, more than one guy uh, competing for a spot either of whom will be you know uh, if they are left out will legitimately be able to ask that i have not done anything wrong to be left out but that's the mark of a strong team so yeah i mean just because i think vihari has put in so much more time i would be inclined to give him a go but you're right i i think because uh, ayer uh, particularly brings that ability to dominate attacks uh, he could be given a preference ahead of vihari in india yeah india next play a test match which will be virat kohli's 100 test match if if he of course stays fit and he plays against sri lanka which begins i think on at the end of february so that's a month and a half away a lot could change rohit sharma could return by then as well so that's another player that we need to add to the 11 now we leave the series of south africa versus india side a tremendous victory for south africa 2-1 and we'll move on to sri lanka cricket sri lanka have before before they play the test versus india Sri Lanka have series against Zimbabwe and Fidel I think they play Australia in T20s as well but before we talk about the actual cricket what what's happening with Banuka Rajpaksa and what's with his resignation his his withdrawal of his resignation and now there is some sort of I don't I don't know a directive that you need to give 3 months notice before you retire it 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 doesn't make much sense can i just say something before fidel does I think Sri Lanka cricket have taken the briefing really seriously and they exist <laughs> to provide material for Fidel. There is I don't I can't see a better explanation than that but Fidel if you have one please uh, let us know. Yeah, they are they are generous with the lols and this is this is very much uh, <laughs> this is very much in that in that in that vein of things. I mean, we've had kind of I, i would call them rather than retirements they're kind of like rage quits you know uh, like a, like a computer games not going your way and you just you just press press alt q and you get out um the it it does seem with with rajapaksa it's a really interesting backstory so uh banu rajapaksa had fitness issues last year um and and he was kind of being he's sort of been talked about as this great batter who has incredible time which he does when he gets going he's really good to watch has amazing hands um a very very good hitter against spin uh, but then if you look at his domestic record you know he he came up through a school system where uh, he was kind of one of the big huge stars of the school system and since his school days he's had this kind of very uh very loud group of fans particularly from his his old school royal college which is you know quite uh, a big school and and has quite a lot of influence in um in in kind of Sri Lankan cricket and society. Um that's so he's kind of come up through the system where a lot of people think of him as kind of almost a savior of Sri Lankan cricket. So he's uh last year when he had these issues, uh Mickey Arthur wasn't picking him because he wasn't passing fitness tests and there was this big back and forth where uh Raj Rajapaksa was uh you know was going on on various media uh, outlets and and stating his kind of dissatisfaction with this uh and saying that he, even even at at sometimes suggesting that his the extra weight that was car- that he was carrying was important to the kind of power hitting that he does that if he lost that weight he might lose his powering ability which i think you know is to anyone who follows a lot of cricket seems a very strange claim to make uh like that is that is a source of power your power your you know that you draw from i don't think that it doesn't quite work out scientifically or physiologically 
But um, but and then and then you know there was kind of a back and forth. Uh, Mickey Art saying he needs to stop eating the chocolates, which he loves. Um, and eventually he gets picked because uh, he's the well. The, the theory is that he kind of drummed up enough media support to get picked, and he does quite well. You know, he scored uh, he scored some runs in that uh, in the T Twenty World Cup and and looked reasonably decent. Though his 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 feeling was pretty uh, pretty subpar. You know, you've got to mention that. Uh, for most of most of his time in the in the Sri Lanka team, and uh, and yeah, so now you know Mickey Arthur's out. He can no longer be blamed. But Sri Lanka have gone down this route of of, uh, of maintaining basic fitness standards, and they made the fitness tests harder. And Rajapaksa, because he felt he couldn't pass them or, or whatever the case, uh, decided to retire. Uh, this is something that we also saw from say Thissera Pereira last year when you know Thissera wasn't being picked. Uh, for the for the limited overs team, so he also kind of retired at a at a reasonably young age. Uh, and Rajapaksa, I think he there was there's some talk talk, uh, talk that he had some offers from from elsewhere to play uh, play uh, play not quite franchise cricket, but uh, but you know well paid cricket elsewhere. And he the thought is that he was going to go pursue that. It's you know it's it's kind of a storm in a teacup for me. Um, Rajapaksa is a talented player, and Sri Lanka's cricket definitely needs him around in it. But he's not he's not absolutely vital. You know, it's not he's not the kind of player that uh, Sri Lanka cricket's going to be hugely hard done by losing. Um, especially now that you've got Kusal Pereira, Danish Gunatilaka, and Nirishan Dikwella returning to the mix to make that kind of top order a little bit stronger, um, to give them more options in that top order. Rajapaksa is a very, very good hitter in the middle order. Uh, middle overs against spin. So in T20 cricket, he's someone that Sri Lanka could definitely use. Uh, but in the end, the, the sports minister, I mean, this is all, it's all just a, a big drama, right? Like the sports minister gets involved and asks the player to stay. And then, you know, the sports minister comes out looking good. The player is like, okay, fine, I'll play for Sri Lanka. You know, these are the kinds of things that, that maybe, uh, it's the kind of drama that this particular uh, career isn't isn't necessarily like at the level uh, that that we need to have this kind of drama. Um, Rajapaksa is a good player, but um, but it's not it's not as if uh, he was indispensable. Um, but a lot of a lot of the kind of a lot of the the talk around the hype around it, I think for me has been a little bit over the top. Um, it, it is it is completely fair of Sri Lankan cricket to have fitness standards uh, and to and to ask its players to have kind of basic minimum requirements and most players do pass those and it's not fair that I think you know some players uh, feel that they that they uh, are that those should not apply to them I don't think that that's that's uh, that's a good attitude to have and I think um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see I mean now Sri Lanka cricket doesn't at the moment doesn't have a coach uh, they've got Mahela Jawadane in a consulting role um, advising all the major teams and you suspect that he had a, had a big big say in uh, those fitness standards coming in. Uh, so Sri Lanka's ODI starts tomorrow and they're going to go in without a coach, well, they, without a head coach. They've got, a, they've got an interim coach in Ramesh Ratnayaka, so mm. they, don't, they don't have a permanent appointment. But uh, it's going to be interesting what attitude the new head coach, whoever it is, uh, when they come in and, uh, and you know, establish kind of their own doctrine, I guess. I, I would assume there would probably a plan to appoint someone permanently before Sri Lanka goes yes. to Australia. Because this is this is a T20 World Cup year. We're just coming off one, but yeah. this is a T20 World Cup year as well. And it's going to take place in Australia. So yes. this is a perfect side, 
time for a Sri Lanka side who, you know what, they did impress a lot of people at at the 2021 T20 World Cup mm-hmm. and to do even better maybe in 2022. Yeah, there's a lot of hope around around the T20 team in particular, um, especially because the attack is in such good order now. I think we've got Dushmanta Chamira, um, who's, you know, really come on as uh, as a limited overs bowler in the last couple of years. And he stayed fit, importantly. And you've got Mani Dhasaranga, the number one T20 bowler. The really exciting one is Mahesh Thikshanan, who bowls, you know, in the power play. No one's really managed to get on top of him yet. He had a really good LPL recently as well. Um, so th- there is there is a little bit of kind of spark around the T20 team. I would, yeah, I would love to see someone come in. Uh, I'm not sure that they will get a permanent head coach before the Australia T20s, but I think that is the hope. Um, and, but definitely before the India Test Series, they, they want a, a T20 coach permanently. So, um, yeah, we, we, we'll just have to, to wait and see. I think there, there are a few names being, that have been bandied around, but no one who's kind of come out as a front runner just yet. Um, it's, uh, it's an interesting time to take over. I think it's for the first time in a while, there does seem to be a little bit of young talent floating around. The Test team is in a relatively stable place with Dimit Karanathana as captain. Um, and some kind of bowling options that have emerged. So it's uh, it's it's not as if I would say you know Sri Lanka cricket is in a healthy place, but it's definitely better than it was 12 months ago or 24 months ago. Yeah, in the, in the next two months, Sri Lanka play T20Is in Australia, then Tests and T20Is in India. Exciting times, Fidel, for for Sri Lanka cricket ahead. And we will be chatting with you, I'm sure, over the next few months on this podcast regarding the cricket as well. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Let's hope it, it will turn out like that. We could. Uh, it's very you know it, the growth of Sri Lankan cricket team is kind of still at a very fragile state. It could you know it could all turn around quite quickly. So uh, yeah, let's hope that they have you know half decent series, particularly in that Australia T Twenty series. Um, yeah, and we'll uh, look forward to catch, catching up with you guys uh, through the course of all of that. Hope for the best, uh, Saurabh and Fidel. Thank you so much for joining us. And for those, of course, who left just a little bit before you on this episode of Stump Mike, we'll be back with you next week. Thanks, Karthik. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks so much.